This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Let's get into the study of God's Word together this morning. If you have a Bible, let's go to 1 John. 1 John isn't the Gospel of John. It is the first letter of John. And as I say this, children, you can be dismissed for Children's Church. Your teacher is waiting for you there in the back. Parents, you're always welcome to make sure your kids uh, get back there safely. Otherwise, we do supervise them well, and you can just send them toward the back of the room. So this is our second week in a series that I'm hoping is really formational for us. The analogy that I used last week was a body, which has a brain. The brain regulates the body, governs the body, but a body also needs a heart that pumps blood through the circulatory or the the cardiovascular system. Your body needs to keep pumping fresh oxygen, fresh nutrients, and it carries away in that same flow what can become toxic to it. Uh, Apart from the Holy Spirit, the person who has taught me the most about what the church needs to look like over the past couple of years is a teacher named Ray Ortland. And Dr. Ortland calls this gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Either he made that term up or he might give credit to an American theologian named Francis Schaeffer who spent much of his life in Switzerland. But those two men would have called it gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Gospel doctrine is grace-shaped belief. Gospel culture is that embodied in grace-shaped life. And that's why we're calling this series a gospel people. When you take gospel doctrine and you put it together with gospel culture, you get a gospel people. And it might seem obvious that gospel doctrine would go with gospel culture, but that's not always the case. They don't always end up together. You actually need, in a biblical church, an unrelenting commitment to both of those things. It is possible. It's possible to have rock-solid, impenetrable doctrine but, but instead of grace, the grace of God poured over, you, over your life when you learn in doctrine, in belief, what God has done that should make you more tender and it should make you more gracious to others. But sometimes people get scared of being labeled as soft. So instead, doctrine becomes a weapon for building walls, not the building blocks of bridges. And on the flip side, if your number one concern is just being nice, no matter if you're floating untethered to good doctrine or not, you can easily become wishy-washy in what you believe. And you can become reticent to point out error. And instead of robust doctrine, what you've got is timidity among your community and you'll just drift farther and farther away from biblical truth in the name of being nice. So being a gospel people 
actually requires a simultaneous commitment to both gospel doctrine and gospel culture. And we can't let any time together be wasted without both of those things. Every week, every group meeting, every time we gather, we must declare gospel doctrine and we must have a life of gospel culture. We must remember every time that we get together that we are all, every single one of us is a sinner deserving of punishment. But by the mercy of God, he has offered pardon and salvation through Jesus. Anyone can have that by trusting in his name. And then we must also remember that once a person takes the name of Jesus, they should never cease to be amazed that God has rescued them. And that amazement, in that amazement, because of that amazement, they should embody the grace of God in their lives by being gracious toward others. And if we're going to be that kind of people, a gospel people, we have to start by being honest about what kind of people we really are. And that's what this week's message is about is honesty. Not so much honesty like telling the truth when you have a chance to tell a lie. More being honest about who you've been and who you are right now. And, and the reason we would do that is because being honest creates for us a space to change and grow. If I'm a liar and a hypocrite, what I'm actually doing, liars and hypocrites, present some view of themselves to others that doesn't leave room for any kind of meaningful growth. Because in order to grow, you've got to allow for the reality that you haven't got it all figured out yet. And if that's true, you, you might even be, you probably will be, guilty of getting it wrong sometimes. So we have to be honest about getting it wrong sometimes. And we have a choice to make. Are we going to present ourselves to one another as though we're finished and whole and done, all set here, nothing to see, nothing to work on, or are we going to present ourselves to one another as we truly are? Still works in progress, but people who want to be more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the passage we're going to read together is so perfect for look into this this morning. So if you're not there, turn to 1 John 1. 1 John is a small letter, very near the end of your New Testament, almost all the way toward the end of the Bible. Our main verse is going to be verse 7, but I'm going to read verses 5 to 10. If you're not in 1 John and you're having trouble finding it, just use the table of contents in your Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this. Follow along in your own Bible. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
This is our key verse. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So verse 5, which is why I wanted to start there, sets up this whole section. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness are probably John's most consistent metaphors. Throughout, he wrote the gospel, and we have these three letters, and then he uses that in the book of Revelation as well. So throughout the gospel, particularly, that he wrote, he refers to illumination and understanding, as well as things like purity and peace and even triumph by talking about light. And then he says, darkness is what people feel constricted by. It's what oppresses them. So darkness, for John, holds us in bondage. Light is what brings us freedom. Uh, Think about this. Have you ever been in a really dark place where it was so dark, the darkness almost felt like it was holding you or sort of binding you in some way. So the darkest place that I've ever been was a cave in southern Colorado. About 15 years ago, I went on this cave tour into these deep, deep foothill caves. You can take these tours where you go deeper and deeper in, and eventually it is impossible. There's no natural light at all that can make its way this far into the cave. And so at the deepest part of our tour... The guide had us turn off our electric lanterns that we were carrying. And it was so dark in that cave that I couldn't see my hand waving in front of my face. And as I stood there, I realized something. I couldn't move. I was terrified to move. I mean, I I could have, but I didn't want to. Something in my brain was holding my body in that space. So all of a sudden, I couldn't remember, what was the ground like below my feet? Was there a ledge there? Was there a dip? Was there a a crack? Might I trip? Was I near a wall? Was I near to somebody else? Would I bump into something? All of these reasons, I was just petrified of moving. And so it was almost like I was paralyzed in that moment. But then as soon as we turned our lights back on, I could see everything, I had no problem exploring the rest of the cave. When it's dark, you move if you can move at all slowly, carefully. You're very timid when it's dark. When there's light, you can move around with purpose. You can even jump. I would jump. There was that water running through there and large cracks between the rocks. You would jump between run one rock to the other without thinking twice about it. People were, kids were running around because there was light to see. So darkness is constricting, light is freeing. That's why John begins this letter about life in Christ by comparing living with one another as being either in darkness or another way as walking in light. And he says that has to begin with God 
because God is light. God is actually so much light that there can't even be in him a little bit of darkness. Not even darkness can be associated with God. He has no faint shadows. He has no dim corners. Every bit of God is wide open. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Is that how you think of God? Do you think of him as open, or do you think of him as hidden? Now, to be sure, in this life, we're not ready for the fullness of God. No one, the, the Bible says that no one can see the fullness of God in, he, in this life here on earth and live. But we can see plenty of him to know that he is light and to know his truth. The Gospel of John describes and calls Jesus the glory of God in the flesh. And this is what John says. It says that he was full of grace and truth. That's gospel doctrine and gospel culture. That's why as a gospel people, we must be Jesus people. Grace and truth. Two words describe a whole set of doctrines and a whole system for being a community of faith. We must have grace and we must have truth. We don't sometimes have truth and other times grace. We always have all the grace and we always have all the truth. Full grace all the time. Truth turned up to 100 all the time. If you wanted to have grace or truth, sometimes we're pushovers, sometimes we're hard. Jesus, John says, was great, he was full of grace and truth. He was neither wishy-washy, nor was he some sort of ivory tower academic who said, well, this is what the Bible says. I can't be concerned with how it affects real people in their real lives. He was fully gracious and fully truthful. So if we want to be a community of the gospel, if we want to be Jesus people, we need to be full make every effort to be full of grace and truth, full of grace and full of truth. And now it's, it's because that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all that we see in verse 6 why we must be people who love light if we want to be people who live with God. So look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So in verse six, it's clear we don't want to be liars. Liars walk in darkness. We want to be truthful and therefore we want to be honest. We want to live in light, not darkness. Liars are in darkness. We want to be truth tellers and honest in the light. And verse 7 tells us how. We have to walk in the light because that's where he is. And here's the key to the Christian life. This is it right here. Really to, to 
any happiness in life, if happiness is a goal for you, the key to happiness in life is being as close to Jesus as possible. That's it. Being as, ha- being as happy in life as you can be will come by being as close to Jesus as possible. And the reason is that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. For us to live as completely as we can, the truest expression and representation of what life in this world is supposed to be, is meant to be, it's only possible when we find ourselves close to Jesus. And and this, this is a dangerous offer for me to extend because I don't want you to hear it as just some kind of a catch-all or a, a quick fix. Because it, it might not be that. But, he, but here's my offer. If you are unhappy. If you feel unmoored. Unanchored. If you feel like you're drifting alone. It may very well be because you're not walking in the light with Jesus. And when I say that, if you're saying, I'm a Christian, and that's what I want to be doing, but, but I'm having trouble, there's something else coming for you in just a minute. I mean this for people who are not Christians. For those, e- even if you might call yourself a Christian, But if you're really honest with yourself, you're not thinking much about walking in the light with Jesus. You're thinking more about pursuing the things that this world would try to distract you with. Just think about that. If you spend a long time pursuing the things of the world, and you really, if you're honest, don't feel happy with them, you really don't feel satisfied. Maybe. I can't say for sure, but I think it might be that if you feel like your life is missing something, it's because it is missing the only thing that will make you feel truly whole, and that's Jesus Christ. So if then walking with him in the light is the goal, how do we do that? What does it mean to walk in the light? Two big things here. First, your inclination might be to say that walking in the light means trying to live better, trying to live sinlessly. But that's not it. That is not what walking in the light means. It does not mean living without sin. Look at the last part of this verse. The first part says that if we walk in the light, the last part says that's That is when the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Many people assume that in order to come to God, in order to step into the light, they have to first deal with what has been done, with what they have done in darkness. And so they feel they can't bring their past to God. But that is precisely how these verses say that God intends to heal and restore us. You don't have to first deal with the darkness to step into the light. You step into the light where God is, who is all light, and God helps you and God comes alongside you to deal with the darkness then. 
So living, stepping into the light does not mean living sinlessly. We step into the light before we're ready to live in the light, and God helps acclimate us. So God invites you to bring what it is that you've done in the dark into the light so that it may now be exposed, seen for what it really is, and finally and truly dealt with. Folks, you can deal with things in the dark, but I guarantee if you want to make a repair to an appliance, a flashlight will be a key tool. I guarantee if something goes bump in the night, you will find it helpful to turn, to flip the light switch on to see what it is that's going on. It will not help you to just bumble around in the dark. If you want to fix something, if you want to deal with something, if you want to be healed from something, bring it into the light. God can handle it. He's seen it in the darkness. But he wants you to bring it in the light. And this can be scary. But that's how we change. That's how we find release and freedom. Look at, look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Pretending we haven't sinned isn't the answer. That's how sin keeps hold of us, is to convince us, is to manipulate us. That's the, the lie that the devil tells you to keep you paralyzed. Don't bring that to God. Don't, don't bring that to God. He said he will be so angry. He will be so disappointed. He might even cast you away from his presence. And so he would tell us, don't, don't tell anybody about that. What will they think? Folks, lies. Those are lies. Now, verse 9 is what is true. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he can cleanse because it's been brought under light and whatever has been done in the darkness is no match for the light of Christ. That's what happened on the cross. The best darkness could do was brought to bear on Jesus. Lies, punishment, torture, and then death. All the tools of darkness. But because darkness is no match for him who is light, he overcame the darkness, proclaims victory over it, and now anyone who comes to him will receive the same thing. Freedom from punishment of sin and release from the bondage of darkness. That's gospel doctrine. Don't fear light. Take a step out into it. But there's here also an incredible promise for gospel culture as well. Ray Ortland says that gospel doctrine doesn't just say something, it does something. And here it says that the gospel also gives us fellowship with one another. When we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. How? Why? How does walking in the light of God individually help us together? The answer is because when we're honest about what God has done for us, it will make us a unique kind of group. It will make us a family that has a common father 
an identity and a culture where we are free to be the people that God has created us to be. Imagine for a minute us being the opposite of that, us being a closed off, judgmental, intensely private group. Let's say then that God has done some amazing things for us, but we never talk about it. We're too afraid of of what people would think if they knew what we had done in darkness. We're too afraid of what people would think if we claimed to be walking in light, but then secretly we went home to the darkness. So the result of that is, is twofold. First, we rob God of so much glory because we never get to tell the stories of what he's done. And two, we never really get to know each other that way because the most honest parts of us are the parts that stay hidden from each other. And the little we end up talking about is just secondary and superficial. We can do that. That's kind of an option for us. A lot of Christians do. But if we truly want to walk in the light, it's going to take something else. We're going to have to choose to be vulnerable with one another. We have to choose honesty. And and, and yes, there is a risk in being honest with with each other. But when we take that risk... We get all the things on the other side of the superficial and the secondary. We get what's truly important. We hear the things that God has done to other people. And we praise him for it. And we believe then that he can do those things in our lives. So we step into the light because we've seen him work in the light when other people have done that. And we're freed from years. We're freed from lifetimes of bondage. When we we see him do that, we believe that he can do that in the lives of other people too. And so the people that we love, the people that we've been praying for, the people that we've been hoping for, instead of just giving up on them, we keep going with them. And we try to reach them with the love of Christ. And we pray and we ask God to change hearts. And, And honestly, maybe God doesn't do everything we ask for. He probably won't. But God does promise that when godly people pray and when we trust him, he does do mighty things. So even though he won't do everything, if we walk in the light together as he's in the light, we'll see see him do an awful lot of incredible things. But we don't get to see that if we don't walk in the light together. How does this work? For starters, some of us have to step into the light. Some of us aren't really there. And when all you know is is darkness, that can seem scary. It, it, It breaks my heart when I hear stories about it, but people often return to things they know are terrible for them. And the reason is usually because it's what they know and we're comforted by what we know, even though if it's destructive for us. So you've got to know, if you're secretly living in darkness, I know it will get uncomfortable, but it's so much better 
to be out in the light. So step into the light. If you're not sure how to do that, pray, ask God to show you the way, and reach out to a godly friend for help. Reach out to one of our pastors, reach out to an elder, reach out to somebody you know in this place to be godly and say, I'm trapped in the darkness. So dark in here, I don't even know how to walk, I don't don't even know which way the light is. Help me. And the next thing we can all do is see the difference between the probability, so I'll call this, the probability of the superficial and the possibility of the supernatural. We can keep things surface level, but that's not where God does his best work. The supernatural work of the Holy Spirit happens when we're willing to go deeper. And this doesn't have to be with everybody. You know what? It probably shouldn't be with everybody. We can be honest about being honest, I suppose. It would get pretty weird if we just all did this on a, on a whole church level. If I just said, hey, we're just going to kind of pass a microphone around and we all want to talk about the deepest, darkest places of our lives. That would not be good. It would not be helpful. It would just get weird. But we can do that with a small group of people. We can do that if we're a man by getting a couple of other men and trusting one another, opening up and letting God work in our midst. Women can gather together, share your lives, and watch God work in them together. And it has to be a two-way street for this kind of openness to work. Uh, A few years ago, I was trying to help uh, a couple of people through a real division in their friendship. And as part of that, I, I suggested that maybe it would be helpful if they would model this right here, what we're talking about between one another. And so we sat in time together and one person searched their heart and they acknowledged how their words and, and actions had been hurtful to the other person. But then you know what happened? The other person refused to do the same thing. And my, my heart just sank right there in the room. It felt like it just dropped into my stomach because I knew there was the possibility when we walked in there of, of exactly what John is writing about happening. But what ended up taking place was the kind of thing that will kill our fellowship. If we can't confess sin to God, if we just pretend with others like we've never done anything wrong, and if we just continue to sit in darkness, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. And to my knowledge, those people haven't spoken since that meeting. One wanted to walk in light. The other just wanted to sit there in the darkness. If we're to be a church, not a, not a church in kind of a, a cultural sense of the word, building, few activities, sign out front, but a church in a, in a biblical sense, where we have fellowship around Jesus, the Son of God, where people come into our midst and they find healing and God begins to bind up past wounds. And if we do that, there's less and less comfortability 
with the shadows and the darkness and there's more and more love for letting the light shine in. If we're to do that, then we have to be honest with ourselves, with God, and with each other. It's not going to work if some of us walk around pretending we have no sin. This won't work if there are a few among us who risk vulnerability, the vulnerability of letting others in, only to find judgment there. Our church needs to be people, a group, a family where it's safe to take steps into the light. John says we should walk in the light. That's a good metaphor because most people won't jump into something like that with both feet and they won't go running with headlong abandon into it. They're only going to take one small step because they've seen it go badly before. They've heard of it going badly lots of times. But if they take a small step and they find grace and mercy and they find acceptance and they find people saying, I'm here too. It wasn't that I was there 30 years ago. I was there today. I'm there today. Let's keep walking in light together. If they take that small step and it's met with, and it's met with acceptance and grace and mercy, if it's met by a gospel people, then they might take another step and then a third and a fourth step and pretty soon they're walking in the light. I'm a sinner being rescued by grace. We're all sinners who can be rescued by grace. And this is a place for sinners who want more light and more grace and more fellowship with God and each other. And we want more of what the peace of God brings. Let's pray together. God, may you make us people who love light. And may we be people who will walk together in the light, who are safe for others to step into the light with, and who are ready and willing to say, it wasn't just my past that was darkness, but my heart, mind, and some of my actions are still dark. So let us pursue God who is light with no darkness together. It's in the precious name of Jesus, his son, who cleanses us from sin when we do exactly that, that we pray. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.